0: Welcome to Tales of Panem, a Hunger Games podcast. My name is Claire, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm glad to have you all joining me this week. Make sure to check out my social media, which is at Tales of Panem on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok for updates, episode information, and more. This week's episode will cover chapters five through nine of Mockingjay. And as usual, I'm going to start off with a brief recap of the chapters. Now that she has officially agreed to be the Mockingjay, Katniss is being prepped to start filming Propos, short for Propaganda Shots. She and Gail visit Beauty in the armory and receive brand new bows. The first propo is to be filmed in the studio, and Katniss has to read out a rebel slogan. However, she doesn't perform well, and Haymitch steps in. He calls a meeting of various people from 13, 12, and the Capitol, telling them that Katniss can only have an impact if she is acting unscripted. Coin agrees, allowing her to go to District 8. Katniss and Haymitch speak for the first time since After the Quell, and he encourages her to keep fighting because PETA isn't dead yet. Katniss, along with a team of bodyguards and a camera crew, travels to District 8 to meet with citizens who have been wounded in the recent bombing. While she is there, the Capitol sends another round of bombers, and Katniss and Gail disobey orders to help fight them off. To Katniss's horror, she realizes that the bombers are targeting the hospital full of wounded. Standing among the wreckage, she makes a speech to the rebels, which also serves as a warning to President Snow. This speech is recorded and edited to create a new propos. Back in 13, everyone agrees the new footage is a success, and Coin approves Katniss to continue filming outside of District 13. While in the hospital recovering, Katniss and Finnick see another interview with PETA on television, in which he warns Katniss not to trust the people she's working with. Finnick tells her to pretend she didn't see it, and no one from 13 brings it up. Katniss and her team return to District 12, where they film her and Gail at their old homes and out in the woods. They also film Katniss singing The Hanging Tree, a song her father taught her when she was young. When they return to 13, PETA is doing another interview and BD is cutting in with footage of Katniss in 12. Upon seeing the footage, PETA is upset and he manages to get out some kind of warning that District 13 is in danger before being cut off. Um, so I have a few things I want to say right off the bat. First of all, that was a pretty long recap. It's not quite my longest. We haven't quite beat the one section of catching fire yet. But I have a feeling as we go forward in Mockingjay, it will continue to get longer because even though I'm doing segments that are only like four or five chapters, so much happens in this book. Hence why it literally had to be split into two different movies. Secondly, on a completely unrelated note, um, I have noticed that my download numbers for the podcast have been going up a lot recently, which is very exciting to me that people actually like want to listen and hear what I have to say. Like, that's why I do this, obviously. Um, because I hope that people find it interesting. Um, so if you are a new listener, hi. Um, I hope that you enjoy the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Um, and let's get right into it. I have so many things I want to cover. So I'm just going to start kind of going through these chapter by chapter. Um, Chatness is now the Mockingjay, which you would think would be like a huge win. Like, yay, she finally gets to be the symbol of the rebellion. Um, but as I discussed last week, it's not great for her even as the mockingjay because we now know like definitively district 13 and like in particular specific people from 13 are really just wanting to use her like the people that actually care about her as an individual aside from this rebellion is a lot lower than it should be for someone in this position and i think that the expectations of her are so interesting and i feel like a lot of people within the series, lose sight of the fact that she's only a 17-year-old girl. Just because she has done things that you would label as heroic, or a given people hope, or like change the course of the war, or the rebellion, or like just the day-to-day events of Panem. And I talked about this last week too, a lot of that was not intentional. Like she didn't want to become this hero, She she's just a girl but now people have these like crazy expectations of her because they think that this has all been like her master plan. And she's like trying to lead the rebels to victory when really she was trying to keep herself and her loved ones alive. But now she's in this place where like, like it was sticking out to me when they go to district eight. Um, and Paylor is basically like watching her to see if she's actually as great as everyone says she is. And it was kind of the same way with like, the other victors in the quarter quell like everyone has these like expectations that they want her to live up to and everyone's like oh you think you're so great you think you're such a hero like let's see what you're actually made of that kind of thing and she never asked for any of that she didn't want to be the mockingjay even now like yes she has agreed to it yes she wants to fight the Capitol. that is never in question but this is something different than like being a soldier against the Capitol. like she is being so much is being asked of her and she's not going to be able to deliver everything because again, she's just a teenager and she doesn't have any experience in politics or the military or anything like that. Yes, she can fight. Yes, she's good with her bow. Yes, she actually is very good with words. And that's something I'll talk about here because we always think of like PETA being the one who's good with words, which to be fair, he is and like he will always be so much better than Katniss at it. And that's not like a diss to her. It's just that that's what he's really good at, but she can do that too. And, and we're starting to see like the power of her words as much as we're starting to see the power of PETA's. And I think it's so interesting. The dynamic created there is because PETA right now is saying things on behalf of the Capitol and Katniss is obviously saying them on behalf of the rebellion. And those things can be equally as powerful. The problem is just that the Capitol is using PETA to do that for them. Like he's not actually believing in the stuff that he's saying in terms of like wanting there to be a ceasefire stuff like that he's not pro capital obviously we know this but he doesn't really have a choice right now um and obviously going forward we're gonna get into more of the specifics of what's actually happening to him it's not great it certainly isn't um uh i'm just sorry i'm just foreseeing the next section and like what i'm gonna have to talk about Mm, it's gonna be an emotional time But yeah, so she's like, basically been put in this impossible situation where like, if she does nothing, it seems like she doesn't care about the cause. And she's just like letting the Capitol win. But if she agrees to take on this role, they're going to be expecting so much of her. And there's no way she can do all that. And now it's like, and she keeps comparing it and other people comparing it to the way she was treated in the Capitol when she was being prepped for her games, because they're like, oh, stand here and wear this makeup and say this line and stuff like that. Like it's, it's, it's all scripted. And that is what Hamish's point is when he's like, we need to send her out into the field because every time that we try to get her to do something for a camera or like on a script or tell her to do it, she's not going to do it. And then we see her in District 8. And that is when we get some of the most like real stuff that we have ever gotten from her because it's not someone feeding her lines, it's stuff that she actually believes in because we know she believes in the cause and she has these thoughts inside of her she just needs to find a way to let them out and that's what being in district 8 does although unprecedented because they did not expect for them to like literally send a squad of bombers right then but it ended with her giving this incredible speech that she gives at the end of that chapter um and it's so like it evokes so much more emotion in you than anything that they could have ever written for her to say because you know that it's truly how she feels and what she believes, as opposed to when they're like, read this little like l- catchphrase that we came up with through the rebellion. And I'm like, no one is gonna want to follow you if you're just reading stuff off a piece of paper. Like it's not gonna ever have the same impact. People are gonna know it's scripted, people can tell that kind of stuff. It's the exact same way that the people in the districts could tell that the whole like love story with PETA in the first games was just an act because as much as some of the people in the Capitol fell for it and as much as like Katniss and PETA could try their hardest to make it real specifically Katniss because obviously PETA did have real feelings but people aren't stupid they can see through that stuff and it's the exact same way with like when you're like oh film this propo, say this line people are going to see right through it and see that she doesn't actually like believe in what she's saying not that she doesn't believe in the cause. Again or like believe in these like anti-capital statements that they're asking her to say, but it's not like her truth, which is what she ends up speaking at at, in district eight. That is what she believes. I guess I'll talk about Gail now so I can get out of the way and then talk about fun stuff. (laughs) And by fun, I mean like really sad still, but at least it's not Gail. Um, But Gail actually does play an important role in this section and in this book. Um, And as much as I hate him, I do. I think it's good so I'm gonna talk about it Katniss and Gail are not getting along great and we started to see this a bit last week with the start of this book and even in Catching Fire there were some issues but now it's like every conversation they have ends in a fight because they just don't agree on things and Katniss even acknowledges that like one of the things she loves about Gail is that he's not he's not gonna let someone change his mind on something that he truly believes in And it's important to have those, those convictions, like, especially in this kind of scenario, like, it's important that you believe in those things really, really fiercely. But it's getting to a point where they, like, are having actual issues because of these things that they disagree on. Like, and, and, well, the big, like, fight that they have in this section is when Katniss sees PETA's interview, doesn't tell anyone, and then Gail, like, doesn't bring it up to her, which I'm, like, because because he says that they didn't want to tell her because they thought it would make her, like, sick or something. And she's like, yeah, but I have a right to know what's going on with the person that I love. Okay. The person that, in my mind, I keep forgetting that they're, like, not. She hasn't fully said that she's in love with him yet. But, like, I know the truth. I know the truth. I know she's in love with him. But anyway, the point is she has a right to know what's going on with Peter more than pretty much anyone else. Literally anyone else at this point because, like, his family's gone now. Her and Haymitch really are the two people that it's like, we should probably know what's going on with him. Um, And, like, no one tells her. And they say it's because, like, they're worried she'll have a negative reaction to it, which, like, okay, she did have a negative reaction to it. But also, we know that it also becomes from a place of, like, what pete actually said which was basically like hey katniss can you really trust these people and obviously he's saying it as like a tool of the capital like they're they're using him they obviously want him to say these things to like place doubt in her mind but there's actually some points there because she doesn't trust the people in 13. she doesn't trust coin she doesn't trust plutarch she like barely trusts haymitch really if she even does trust him right now like that and she's getting to a place where she doesn't even trust Gail because now Gail is like keeping secrets from her on behalf of coin. The only people she really trusts right now are her family. And so it's it is really giving like they don't want her to know about this because what if she starts to realize that she doesn't actually trust them because they've also given her a lot of reason not to trust them is the thing. Like like there are many, many reasons to doubt coin right now. She is clearly has her own agendas going on aside from the rebellion. She has her own things going on. And why would Katniss trust her? Like, let's be honest, why would she trust her right now? Just because they are fighting against the same government, the same person in President Snow, does not mean that they have to trust each other. And it goes both ways too. Coin clearly doesn't trust Katniss. Are you kidding me? Like, what, what do you think that whole assembly was about where she was like, if Katniss doesn't do what she said she's going to do, the deals off because she doesn't believe in her enough to know that she's not gonna back out so there's absolutely no trust there and and like again we talk like pita saying it makes it seem so much more reasonable always no matter what he's saying and so to hear Peta be like hey katniss maybe you should think about this like do you actually trust these people and she knows he's just saying it like for the capital but she's also like do i trust these people not really. Maybe this is something I should think about. And they're only making it worse by not telling her about it. Obviously, they don't know she saw it already, but she knows, and she knows they're hiding it from her. And so it only gets worse from there. But she does also get in a fight with Gail about this. And I just Gail is is the soldier character, you know, like he wants to fight more than anything. And this is kind of like the double-edged sword of his character, because obviously like, you want to fight the Capitol? Good for you. I agree. I support you. But the reason why it causes such a problem with Katniss is not because she doesn't want to fight the Capitol too, because she does. But Gail is so eager to fight and so eager to kill in a way that she can't be because she has fought and killed before in a way that he hasn't. He's never killed a person. He doesn't know what that means. Like, he... And he's like yeah i would i he has this line where he's basically like if i had a weapon that could have stopped them from bombing 12 or stopped you from going into the arena i would have used it and she's like me too but you don't know the actual toll it takes on you to kill a person and i do and it there's also this interaction they have later in the book that i won't get into right now but i think it like it that conversation is like the defining moment for me of like where each of um stands as a character at that point in time and it's a really good conversation but I'll talk about it when we get there but this one is is good too it's when they're down in the 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 like armory and the hummingbird room but yeah so like every interaction they have now is a fight also okay now I get to just like fully slander Gale. this scene where they're at they're back in district 12 and they're in her old kitchen and she like kisses him and he's like I knew you'd do that because like, I'm sad and you always do like, shut up. It's literally so disgusting. Like you are literally standing in the ruins of your home. You're literally like standing on the bodies of your neighbors, like figuratively. And also at sometimes literally, and you are going to guilt trip her for not like going out with you. Also he literally oh my god it's so bad. He literally compares himself to the guy in the hanging tree. I'm sorry. Pack it pack it up. It's so bad. And I will talk about the hanging tree, trust me. But like can you maybe just like set that aside for a moment? I am sorry that you are in love with this girl and she doesn't love you back. That sucks. Sorry. But, like, we have more pressing issues right now. The last thing on her mind is, like, you. I'm going to be so truthful. Like, she is not thinking about that at all right now. And when she literally does kiss him because, like, she and it, she's so confused about everything right now. And you're making it so much worse for her. And she does kiss him. And he's, like, and then he's, like, a jerk about it. He's, like, oh, well, like, you're only doing that because I'm sad. Then shut up. Then literally shut up. Anyway. I hate that scene so much. I oh he makes me so mad. Anyway, moving along, I think I've talked about Gail enough. Although speaking of Gail, you know who I love so much? Posey Hawthorne, his little sister. She's so cute. I love that scene where Katniss brings her prep team into the like dining hall and it's kind of awkward. And then Posey is just like, you're really pretty to Octavia. Oh my gosh. I love her so much. She's adorable. Wish we had more Posey Hawthorne content. Anyway, I don't really have much to say there. I just wanted to bring her up because I love her a lot. Let's talk about Boggs, yet another incredible character who gets introduced in this book. And this, I think that this, like these few chapters specifically is when you actually start to like care about him as a character and realize that he's not just like that guy who works for Coin. Like he actually is kind of a cool dude. And this is also when Katniss actually starts to like him. There's literally a line where she's like, I decide to like Boggs because he makes a joke. It's funny. Anyway, um, (laughs) but he is so yeah, he obviously is from 13. He does work for Coin, but like he clearly is a better person than her by a long shot. You can tell that already, you know, like before you even get into the rest of the book. But another thing about Boggs is that he actually believes in Katniss. And I know you're thinking, like, doesn't anyone, doesn't everyone believe in Katniss? Like, didn't she kind of start this portion of the rebellion by, like, everything that she did? But I don't think that a lot of the people, specifically from 13, actually, like, believe in her as a person. They're just like, oh, if we put her in this costume and have her say these lines and, like, put it on TV, people will join us. But Bog says this line that I literally love so much. And I like to think that it really also resonated with Katniss where they're in district eight and she's visiting with the wounded and the like joy that they experience at seeing her, they're literally in like the worst circumstances they've ever been in in their entire lives. They're all in so much pain. It's all these severely injured people crammed in this one room. There's like a stack of bodies out in the hallway. It's so bad. But Katniss shows up and they experience like real joy at seeing her. And I think this is the first time where she really realizes the actual impact that she has on people. Because to this point, the only way she views it is because of all these things I've done, so many people are dead. So many people are hurt. So many people have been captured or tortured or killed just for knowing me. But now she's starting to realize that she's done good for people. And she basically is like and and they're like praising her after this they're like oh you did so great we got some great footage and she's like i didn't do anything i just like said hi to people and Bogg says you have to give yourself some credit for what you've done in the past because the reason why people have such a strong connection to her is because of the things that she's done and she never intended for that to happen But all these things she's done have added up volunteering for prim, trying to save Rue, the thing with the berries, everything on the victory tour, like the moment after their interview in the, um, for the quarter, Quell where she grabs chaps hand, like stuff like that is huge. And it, it has added up and there's a reason why this rebellion is happening now. And it's because of her. And I think that this is a great moment because it's, like, people seeing her beyond just, oh, she's the Mockingjay, she's the Mockingjay, but seeing, like, her actual actions that have gotten her here. But yeah, Bog says that to her, and I don't think she's ever thought about it like that before. She doesn't understand why everyone is so willing to follow her, why she's so beloved by the people of this rebellion, and now she's starting to get it at least a little bit. And I don't think that's necessarily to say she's gonna be like, oh my gosh, yeah, you're so right. I like literally did all of this and I'm so great because that's never gonna be her. But if she can let go of some of the guilt that she's carrying and take a little bit of almost pride in what she's done, I think it would go a really long way for her. Yet another iconic group of characters introduced here is Katniss's camera crew. Love them so much. I'm literally obsessed with them. Um, and also Katniss likes them a lot too because when they're in District 8, instead of like running and hiding, they're like right with her, um, which is not an easy thing to do. Like they literally could have died. Um, and they're not soldiers, they're like directors, cameramen. They're not trained for combat. They didn't go there expecting to like literally almost die. But when faced with it they were like we're gonna follow Katniss and that's also when <laughs> sorry i'm thinking ahead a little bit i'll get there i'll get there um <laughs> but anyway this is when Katniss like fully disobeys everyone's orders and like goes off to shoot at the hovercraft um although the one person aside from like Gail who does hype her up and I'm, the camera crew obviously is Paler, love Paler so much oh she is such an icon she is so slay but yeah she fully disobeys everyone's orders which she kind of does a lot she's very stubborn and she kind of just wants to do her own thing um which like good for her you know I think it makes her so great and so interesting that she is willing to do that also all the disobeying orders does lead us to like one of my favorite lines in the entire book for literally no reason um, and we'll get there because it's all building to that. There's a certain portion of this book that I feel really strongly about. And when we get to it and I reveal what it is, you're going to be like, seriously, this is what you're like passionate about here. I can't explain it. Um, but we'll definitely get there and I'm going to be such a problem. But yeah, she, she like runs off to shoot at the hovercrafts and finds out that they are in fact bombing the hospital. Ugh, I do have to talk about Gail again. Ugh. Thought I was done talking about him. No, okay, this is actually like something I wanna talk about. Does involve Gail though. After they bomb the hospital, Gail is like, Katniss is like, why would they do that? Like that was just a bunch of wounded people, not a threat. And Gail is like, well, when this, like if the Capitol wins this war, they don't need those people. They're all injured. They're like, the Capitol only needs the people of Panem for labor basically, so that they can provide the goods the Capitol needs so what good are are all these injured people to them and also it makes a bigger statement for them to kill a bunch of like unarmed wounded people i do think that to gail's credit he does understand the way that the capital functions probably better than katniss does because katniss is has been like living it personally this entire time but she hasn't been stopping to think about like what the capital is going to do next what their plan is Whereas Gail has been, because he's been thinking about this rebellion long before it was like a tangible thing. Like he literally would talk about it to her in the woods and she would be like, don't talk about that. We're going to get in trouble. And it's not because she hates the capital less than him. It's just because they are different people, obviously. But he really does get it, like get what they're trying to do, what the capital's is trying to accomplish. And that is a very valuable asset to have on their side. And it's it's definitely going to like serve him well hate him so much but it it does i think that may be the first time i've ever ever said anything remotely nice about gail here um i didn't like it it probably won't happen again anyway (laughs) let's move on okay now i swear i actually am done talking about gail i think okay we all know what time it is it's time for me to talk at length about hamish he's back everyone cheered um he is back he wasn't in the last section and it was really difficult for me to not have much to talk about with him but he's back now and there's so much to talk about with him first of all let's talk about one of my favorite Katniss and Haymitch scenes that's in this section it's where it's after they have that meeting where he's like name one time that she did anything that actually had an impact and then is like the common thread here is that it was all unscripted it's so true of him he understands her more than probably anyone else but then they have this like one-on-one conversation where she's like i can't believe you didn't rescue pita and he's like i can't believe you let pita out of your sight that night because they both know that like there is blame to go around and i've talked before about they like feed off each other's guilt of like i should have done more i should have done more yes you should have which is not always the healthiest dynamic but that's a different conversation but also, you know what Hamish says in this scene that I think about every single day? He says, he says, I can't believe you let him out of your sight that night. And she's like, I tried to think of a way to not leave him while also still, like, keeping the alliance together. And I couldn't think of anything. And he says, quote, you didn't have a choice, period. And I love, and I know it's like, yeah, obviously shouldn't have a choice. No, you don't understand. Okay, because... Both of them are blaming themselves so deeply for what happened to Peta, and Katniss wants to blame Haymitch so much, and she does to an extent. But she also recognizes that she feels so guilty about it too, because it was also her responsibility. They they made this deal to try to save him, both of them, and so by extension of that, they both quote unquote failed. And to hear, first of all, him say you didn't have a choice is something that she needed to hear because she didn't have a choice. But it's so hard for her to acknowledge that. Because she wants to blame herself for everything. She's been doing that since literally the beginning of the series. And she will continue to do it up until the end. Because that's just who she is. But that's also who Hamish is. And for him to tell her she didn't have a choice. He also has to acknowledge that he didn't have a choice either. And so through this conversation. They are both sort of letting go of some of the guilt. And the pain that they've been carrying around. Of what happened to being thinking it's their fault. And now they're actually at a point where they can move forward and think like, okay, now what can we do for him now? And Hamish is like, he's not dead yet. We have to keep fighting because if you just sit curled up in a ball, like in your room, that's not gonna help him at all. And she knows that as much as he does. But once again, it is their love for Peta that keeps them so bonded throughout all of this. And she was so angry at him and she still is. And she hasn't completely forgiven him yet by any means. But they both still love Peta, and Peta still needs them. So their job is not done in that regard. And I just love it. Ugh, that seems so good. Anyway, also, the dynamic between the two of them, this is why I'm like, Mockingjay is like their peak. I know that one scene in Catching Fire is my favorite, but like, as a whole, Mockingjay is like their time to shine. Because their dynamic is so... Their, their dynamic has always been very hostile, first of all. Like, that's just how it is between them. And I love it. But, like, the way they act around each other in this book, it's giving the same energy as, like, in the very first book when Kat, when Hamish is doing Katniss's interview prep. And he's like, there is literally nothing remotely likable about you at all. Like, that kind of energy is what I love about them. Because they literally will say the most, like, hateful things to each other. But, like, you know they still love each other so much. Um, But this brings me to this scene that I literally... It lives inside my brain. When... After the stuff that happened in District... First of all, first of all, when they're in the, like, post-District 8 meeting and no one has, like, snitched on Katniss and Gail for, like, going off and doing their own thing and disobeying all the orders. And Mitch like, smiles at her from across the room and is like yeah we wouldn't want anything to happen to our precious little walking jay or something like that he is literally so insane but i love him so much um but then i can't stop laughing it's so funny the scene where where he like she first of all she like wakes up and he's like sitting next to her bed and he's like because it's after she like ripped her earpiece out while they were in the field and he's like if you don't Leave your earpiece in. I am literally going to like put an implant in your brain so that I you will hear my voice twenty four seven. And then she's like, "Okay, I'll keep it in." Dang. Is there anything else? And then he's like, "Yeah, I, I ate your lunch." And then he leaves. Suzanne Collins, you understand me so deeply because like this kind of that kind of energy. Like, I I love when they have these little like heartfelt moments where they're like really like being open with each other and like every time they hug in the books and movies i literally lose it it makes me so happy however i also love this energy between them it's so funny to me and it's also like in in this book where literally everything is so terrible all the time i need to like laugh a few times you know i need to like have a good time so it's not just like one heartbreaking thing after the other because that's a lot of what this book is but then it's like, here's a little, as a treat, you can have a funny little scene between Katniss and Haymitch. Thank you. That's all I wanted, Suzanne. Thank you so much. Um, but yeah, that scene is literally hilarious. And I <laughs> I knew it was in this section. I was so excited when I was reading it. I was like, this is, this is truly one of the greatest things ever written. But yeah, they are once again bonded in their love for PETA which is always one of my favorite things about them, is that, like, no matter what is going on between them, they both will always love Peta, and they can use that to kind of repair their relationship when it's in a really bad place, because at the start of this book, they're not, like, Katniss is literally like, I don't care about him, I hate him so much, like, I never want to see him again, and we know that she actually does care about him, like, she could never not care about him, but she tries not to, she still does, but then as soon as they, like, see each other again, the first thing they talk about is Peta. And he's the only other person who like gets what she's going through with PETA because he loves him too, you know? And so everything that happens to him has an impact on Haymitch the way that it does on Katniss. And until while Haymitch was like not present for the first four chapters of this book, she didn't have anyone to share that with. So she has Finnick and and he's in a similar situation because Annie is in the Capitol. But like, first of all, there's been nothing seen of Annie. Like they don't have any updates on her, which in some ways is honestly worse. But But Hamich is the only one that really understands specifically with PETA what Katniss is going through. Also, Hamich does, they do offer to bring Hamish to District 12 with them and he says he like, he won't go. Or I think the specific thing he says is that like, he can't face it without a bottle or something like that, Um, which makes me really sad because I don't like it when he's sad. Um, (laughs) Anyway, I do want to touch briefly on the Hanging Tree. I'm not going to talk about it that much because if you've read Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, you know that The Hanging Tree is extremely relevant to that book. And so I will do like a full breakdown of like its origins, the lyrics, everything when we get there. Um, but in terms of what it means to this book, it's such an interesting song choice for Katniss to sing at the moment that she does. First of all, it's so, so deeply linked to her father in her mind for obvious reasons. But... It's also like a really dark song. And again, if you've read Ballad, you know the origins of it, so you know even more so how how dark it is. Also, no, I can't say that, that's a Ballad spoiler. I'm I'm communicating telepathically with everyone who's read Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes right now so that you'll know what I'm thinking about and why I'm emotional talking about this song. Okay, you got it, you guys got it. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's a really dark song hence why she was like banned from singing it by her mother um and why she was like so upset about it and it's not a song that like inspires hope and she's not like singing it thinking that it's going to be broadcast the entire country because she doesn't know they're filming but it's like really morbid um and it's kind of like bittersweet for her because it does hold memories with her father which are like good memories of him because his singing is like a really huge part of who he was and it makes her think of that, but it also like has a really dark meaning that she didn't actually understand until she got older. Um, but yeah, the lyrics to that song literally make me feel insane. And I could talk about it forever. And I will talk about it forever when we get to Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Um, so yeah, that's your teaser. The Hanging Tree actually is very relevant in that novel. If you haven't read it yet, that's that's all I'll say to you. Now we have to talk about how this part of the book ends. Unfortunately, I will say Jay, obviously out of all three out of all, well, not including Valid because that literally came out like three years ago, but if the original three books, I obviously, it's been a long time since my first time reading them. Um, but Jay is definitely the one I remember the best. Like my, I remember my experience of reading it for the first time the best, I should say. One, because it was like slightly more recent because it was obviously the last one that I read. But also, and because I, I did read it all in one sitting, I've mentioned that a million times. But it's just so funny to me um, how I was doing that. But also because it's my favorite. But also because there are just like there are moments like there are moments in *Mockingjay* that I'm like I vividly remember the experience that I had reading this for the first time, and I will definitely be pointing out some of those moments because it's just such an interesting look into my mind of like these are the things that stuck with me that first time reading it. So interesting. But one of them, I will literally never forget when I was sitting on my couch in my living room, reading Mockingjay for the first time as like a literal nine year old. Once again, why was I reading these books at age nine? We don't know. And read the end of part one, this last page where PETA is like District 13, you'll be dead by morning and then the last line of the chapter being and his blood as it splatters the tiles literally seared into my brain like if you if some random person ran up to me on the street anytime and was like what's the last line of part one of Mockingjay I would know it like that um because it, it, it literally like I remember it so vividly reading that for the first time and being like uh and now I feel like if I was reading that, I would be like, okay, time for a break because that's what I do when I'm like reading or watching something that gets really dark really fast. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go like take a walk or like get a coffee or something. Um, but me as a nine-year-old was like, okay, turn the page, I'll start part two. Crazy, insane person. But no, the end of this chapter is literally so... Peter you know, Millard, you deserve literally only good things and like literally every bad thing is happening to you here. Just because it takes us turn so quickly. Like the first time he's on TV, It's bad because of the things he's saying, but like physically he looks fine and he sounds fine. And then the next time he's like a completely different person. And Katniss realizes that like the original interview was probably filmed in advance of when it was aired because the transformation is so drastic, but also it's only been like four or five days since she watched it. And so he's changed so much to her in just a few days. And then again, like a few days later when they watch the new one, it's like even worse in that way. And I just, like, this image of, like, the blood as it splatters the tiles lives in my head. And, like, I wish it wouldn't. I wish it would get out. Um, Because it makes me, ugh. It makes me, like, nauseous almost, you know? To, like, think of that. But PETA does manage to get out this, like warning almost to District 13, which was brought on by him seeing the propos that they'd filmed that Beatty was managing to get aired across the entire country, including the Capitol. And like seeing Katniss is what kind of motivated him to do that because he was trying to just like say what he'd been told to say so that it wouldn't have consequences for him or Katniss. But he sees her and he realizes that like he has to say something even at the cost of like his own life um, or worse than... The cause of your life, which is, mm, oh my gosh, I literally, next week is going to be so, actually, no, not next week. Next week, we're doing character study. That's also going to be a lot, though, because of who the character is. But the week after, when I can finally talk in detail about what actually happened to Peter Malark at the Capitol, because it will all be revealed. And it's literally the most harrowing thing that I have ever read in my entire life. Like, sometimes I'll just be sitting around and I'm like, just remembered what happened to Peter Millar. That was crazy. Um, but yeah, currently he's just in a really very bad situation. Like him specifically, it is very, very bad for him. Um, and he knew what he was risking by saying what he did. And he still did it anyway. Because like that's the kind of person he is. And we we know that very well from having read the series up to this point. We know who he is and what he's willing to do. For people in general, it is Katniss specifically, but like he just cares about people. He's just a good person who would do pretty much anything to save another person. And also like everyone is like celebrating in this moment because they've gotten their footage through. But you know, the two people who like look at each other across the room and see and see their own like pain mirrored back at them, Katniss and Hey Mitch, because again, they're the only people who are like feeling so deeply the pain of what's happening to Peter right now and it's like no one else understands like everyone else is like oh, this is a win because we got our footage on and they're like, look what's happening to this person that we love very very deeply and like no one seems to care like there's been no move to to okay, I was't there's been no move to rescue Peter yet, which like I know it's not that simple like they can't just like walk in and get him, you know and I don't think that it's for lack of like, we don't care about him. We're not going to try to rescue him ever. It's not that, but like if it were up to Katniss and haymitch that would be their number one priority. And it's clearly not, which was proven by the fact that they didn't rescue him in the arena. And again, it goes back to that line, you didn't have a choice, that I love so much. But the fact of the matter is that PETA's in the capital and Katniss isn't because the rebellion prioritized Katniss. And they're still prioritizing her. Whereas Katniss and Haymitch want to prioritize PETA right now specifically Katniss. Hamish would also try to prioritize Katniss because he loves her too. Um, But like they're the only ones who are like really getting each other right now and know what each other are going through. And again, that's going to like force them to kind of forgive each other and get along even though they're still both angry at each other like all the time. Um... But like when there's only one other person in the world who understands what you're going through, you're going to naturally gravitate towards them, especially when that person is so similar to you that they're experiencing it in a very similar way to you are, along with also it just being like the same thing happened to you. You're feeling it very similarly. Thanks for joining me this week on Tales of Panem. Next week is the first week of the month. So I'll be doing my monthly character study episode on Primrose Everdeen. If you have any specific questions or topics you'd like me to cover, you can DM them to me on any social media or send them to my email, which is talesofpanam at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave a review or rating of the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would be very appreciated. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be back next week.